Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. The financial sector is an inherently closed system. This week, Brett Scott, author of The Heretic's Guide to Global Finance, considers what elements are required to make finance open source and what exactly would such a system look like. Who I am, I mean, I, I wrote this book, The Heretic's Guide to Global Finance. Um, to put it in a nutshell, it's basically a guide to the financial sector for campaigners, effectively. Um, by campaigners, I mean anybody who actually has an interest in challenging the financial status quo. It needn't be a person who necessarily thinks of themselves as an activist per se, but somebody who has a desire to try and uh, disrupt things to some extent or has a bit of a rebellious impulse. Um, I think Catherine asked me to come speak because she saw an article I wrote which was called um, Accountants as Anarchists, um, which I wrote for, actually it was for the Chartered Accountants Institute, um, and they published it on their, uh, actually has somebody from the Chartered Accountants Institute, yeah. Um, and so it was basically this article that, that, that got published there about the fact that it was accountants' role in society to challenge power. Uh, if you want to speak to somebody about that afterwards, Martin's actually running a project all about that to some extent. Um, and I guess, so Catherine saw that and she asked me to come in and speak about it. Um, but the accounting industry is, I guess, like one little sort of sliver of the financial kind of nexus, as it were. Um, and, uh, but that article, in a way, kind of captures some of the ethos of, of a, lot of the, a lot of my work I'm doing, which is uh, the financial sector to many people appears as a large, powerful kind of thing. You think about Canary Wharf, these sort of towers of finance. For a lot of ordinary people, this is a, a appears as a sort of giant system of power that they have no access to, um, and the kind of anarchist impulse, as it were. Not that I'm strictly a you know large a anarchist, but um, the kind of sort of impulse there is, is how do you how do you open up access to this this otherwise exclusionary world? Um, so the book was kind of written with this ethos in mind. Um, uh, in a way, and, and, and I, I guess when I, I propose this talk about um, open source finance, um, the, the book in, in, in some sense is, uh, has, a, has a, to some extent, is trying to reveal the, the quote-unquote sort of source code of global finance, uh, trying to sketch out a, um, a schematic of the various institutions, the various players, how they interact, um, in a way trying to open up ac access to, it, to an ordinary person. Um, that said, the book does cost money, so it's still proprietary to some extent. Um, albeit, I like to think that you're actually just paying for the paper and the means of transmission rather than the actual, the actual content. Um, I'm certainly not going to make any money off it, so uh, <laughs> to some extent it is semi-open source itself. <laughs> um, one day I will put it onto the internet for free um, once I get around the contract. Um, Okay, so let me, uh, I guess the, the first thing people are going to think about when I think about open source finance is perhaps the actual kind of software. Uh, you're thinking Bitcoin or you know, uh, various bits and pieces of, of software that are used in finance that are, are created via an open source production process. I'm not probably going to talk very much about that. I mean, I, I can talk about Bitcoin. I use Bitcoin um, and various other things like that. But um, I'm more interested in open source, uh, say, software design as an analogy for broader uh, economic systems. Um, and, if you, and actually, computers in general are always great for analogies, because they're kind of really, in a sense, like simplified versions of, of, of reality. 
so you know, a, a computer system, you're, you're taking in inputs of energy um, in the form of uh, actual electricity and human brain power, and you're kind of processing it via the system of hardware and software, and you, uh, you're spitting out some kind of output. Um, and in a sense, that's what, what economic systems do as well. You kind of have human energy and, and physical resources, and then a kind of way of arranging them. Uh, you know, uh, intellectual technology, uh, uh, which is a bit like software, I guess. Sort of ways and means of producing things. And then you kind of have these outputs. Um, and it forms a sort, of a, a, a sort of giant system of, of circuits and so on. Um, so actually thinking about computers um, and sort of hardware-software interaction is quite an interesting way, an interesting analogy to gain access to how you th can think about economies. Uh, albeit a computer is a lot simpler in the sense that you can actually control it. Um, or you can sort of at least attempt to control it. Whereas uh, you know, trying to write code, as it were, to control you know, this stuff here yeah, is pretty difficult. Albeit you'll see that actually all these, uh, all these buildings here are, are in some senses coded by law. Uh, you can't just put up any old building you want. You, there's a whole sort of system of code that, that exists in the real world which you're, you're trying to control how people do things. Um, and to some extent, there's a kind of a vaguely open source pro process in, in democratic systems where you, people have input to some extent into policy and how you're trying to control how the society moves. Um, but uh, the democratic process doesn't extend very well into the financial sector, I've tended to think. Um, and, and so let me quickly go into the, the actual thing around finance. I mean, in, in essence, the financial system is around how do you redistribute resources? Um, that's a bit of a basic, crude way of expressing it, but it's, it's uh, you know, you, you, you work, you produce stuff, you get money for it, you don't, need, you don't need to use the money right now, you deposit it in a bank, it gets redistributed somewhere else, to somebody else who needs it. Um, that's a bit of a slightly misleading way of describing banking, but take that for now. Um, it's, it's a redistribution system. And uh, the kind of the banking system and the various instruments we use to do that, um, where it's with commercial banks, investment banks, pension funds, these are all kind of conduits money in society and they kind of steer money around and then they're trying to suck it back in the form of returns. So you're deploying money in situations and then you're extracting it back via interest and dividends. Um, and it's, so it's, it's a kind of redistribution system. But the, w the way we actually interact with it is, is very much like the way we interact with, say, a, the average person interacts with a computer, which is, this is a thing that does something and I, I kind of do things and it sort of does stuff. I don't really know actually what it does in between. Um, so, you know, actually, you know, your Microsoft interface, you're clicking on things, you don't actually know what the, the clicking does. There's actually a process occurring which you have no access to. Um, and the people who do have access to us are financial intermediaries. So your actual banks, your actual fund managers, your, the, the sort of what we call the financial sector, which is a, s a small part of the financial system, um, but it's, it's the most powerful part of the financial system. Um, and it's, it's kind of, in a sense, the controlling force of the financial system. Um, so, I guess uh, going back to the sort of open source uh, analogy here, um, the average person is, is, uh, doesn't really have access to this sort of system of intermediaries in, in any real um, meaningful, meaningful way. Um, and uh, there's a sort of, uh, a, I guess, a disconnection process, both on the, the part of people who are putting money into banks, where you, you, you perceive yourself as a passive a depositor of money and you, you sort of, you don't really know what happens to it. But then also on the other side of, of that transaction where there are, there are people who lack access to actual financing. Because um, in the end the banking sector is supposed to be putting together a depositor with somebody who needs money. But there's a, there's a whole sort of disconnection process in the middle um, where you will never perceive that yourself as a depositor. Um, 
And I guess so if you're trying to, in a sense, open up finance, the, the idea is how do you break down some of the power that's inherent in that intermediary system and redistribute it to the people who are actually the, the foundation of the financial system, which are just ordinary people? Um, so that's a kind of a, does that basically make sense? That, that's it. <laughs> um, and you can see the financial intermediaries. Uh, I don't know if you can see the city from here. But the, yeah, well, I mean, and I worked as a broker for a couple of years as a derivatives broker. So now I sort of have some understanding of, of how financial intermediaries work. The, I mean, what, what financial intermediaries in essence do is attempt to monopolize information and monopolize relationships and to some extent monopolize technology. Um, so you, you, what a broker does, you, you, want, you want to be the person who knows everything. Um, that people, other people don't know. So your whole essence of these banks and so on is trying to keep information within themselves um, and then use that to extract value. Um, and I guess so any, any kind of program of, of opening up finances, how do you redistribute or make in information more widespread? How do you make the networks more widespread? How do you make the technology more widespread um, such that, the, that there's a, 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 a better balance of power between your intermediaries and your end depositors or your end borrowers? Um, so that's the kind of the uh, s schema. And that's what I kind of mean when I'm talking about open source finance, is that project. It's not so much um, a specific piece of, you know, say, software, although that could, that could be a part of the, the, the broader picture. Um, so I guess in my book, I'm, I'm talking about financial hacking. Um, it's it's you know, called hacking, uh, the Heretics Guide to Global Finance, hacking the future of money. Um, and I guess the sort of the hacker ethos is, is a big element of this um, this picture, um, and I kind of see the sort of hacker ethos is, is uh, in some ways an, an, an exploration impulse. You explore things, and actually, if you take it back to computer coding, hackers spend a lot of time exploring code for the sheer joy of it. You know, you just the kind of all sort of exploring systems. It doesn't have to be code; it could be whatever you, whatever piece of technology you're looking at, or you're exploring. You're trying to find out the components of a system, and then the sort of second part is you're trying to find ways of jamming that system or something, playing around with it, and then trying to find ways of opening it up to other sort of uh, a broader, a broader uh, group of people, or else a kind of a DIY impulse where you're trying to rewire things to sort of uh, creatively mess with, with, with pieces of technology. Um, and this, the same kind of ethos can actually be applied to the financial system in a broader sense. If, um, and I guess the book is trying to sketch that out. Um, the, uh, and uh, the... But I guess today I want to perhaps talk a little bit more specifically about, because um, hacking goes beyond sort of open source per se, but I guess the, 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 one the, one, the one real sort of core element of open source and hacking is this attempt to distribute power. So all hackers have this kind of impulse, which is which you, you're, trying to, you're trying to attack power. And, and, and this is what's fundamentally different from, say, a, 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 a somebody who uh, let's say a, 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 somebody who's hired by the government or hired by a large corporate to quote-unquote hack something. It's not really what I, what I consider the, the true spirit of hacking. The true spirit of hacking to me is always people who have less power than some other force. And they're always opposed to a larger system of power. Um, so that's, that's kind of like how I'm, 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 I'm d defining hacking in that sense. Um, but if we go into the actual open source process, um, there's three elements to me which uh, I think apply to the financial system. Um, for a start, there's production processes, um, how you actually produce financial services or how do you um, have input into that. And there's a kind of a distribution element, how do you distribute it more widely to people. And then there's a kind of a, uh, I guess, a, 
um, I don't know what you call it, like a monitoring element or a sort of, of how do you have accountability in the system? How do, you, how do more people monitor stuff? And I guess a very simple analogy for this is something like Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia has a sort of three, three prongs, those three prongs there. You, you, you can, as a person, you can, you can be part of the process of creating it if you want. You have access to it as well if you have access to a computer. So there's, there's widespread access. You don't have to pay for it in any explicit way. Um, but then you can also check it. So there's this kind of inbuilt system where you can see people have made changes, you can, you can challenge the changes. So there's an accountability process that's built into it as well. Um, and all three of those things are missing from most finance. Uh, you don't really have very much input into the production process. You, you can put your money into a bank, but you don't have any say on how you, the, the production of financial services occurs. Um, you, there's, a, there's a lot of rules on, on, on how you can obtain or access to the system, say, as a borrower. Um, most, uh, there's a whole sway of people who are excluded from finance and in a sense are, are, are don't have any kind of ability to access it. And then there's, this, there's very little accountability. Uh, the only people who can actually challenge the financial sector tend to be you know, your regulators or people with expertise. But this is um, quite problematic in many senses because you, you actually have a lot of regulatory capture and things like that. You actually want a wider sense of the people being able to monitor what's going on in the financial system and where money is going and so on. Um, so I'm going to quickly, I don't have much time, but um, let me quickly set out some examples. So in the production processes, um, some current examples we see coming out in the financial sector, you have, say, peer-to-peer -peer loan systems. And I think it's going to talk next week um, on peer-to-peer -peer, um, lending systems, peer-to-peer -peer finance here at the same time. So maybe come to that as well. But you can see, in, the, in essence, some of what peer-to-peer -peer is trying to do is to give, give the ordinary people access to the means of production in finance. So you can directly make loans. Um, so in a sense, that's a, in a, bit, a, a bit like, like you know, I have, I have the ability to be a financial producer or, or, or offering an actual service um, rather than being a passive recipient of, of some kind of abstract storage facility people think of it as a bank. You're actually actively participating in financing the world. Um, um, and then another sort of obvious example of a production process in finance, I guess, is the, the, the Bitcoin systems become quite well known, where people, in a sense, have contributed to creating a currency. Albeit, um, Bitcoin right now doesn't actually have a true financial system developed in it yet. It's kind of a proto-financial system. Um, but you can see people have a sense of ownership over the currency in a Bitcoin system and, uh, and other alternative currency systems too, like time systems. And people actually feel that they've created the currency. Um, so you've had an input there. Um, uh, and then, so that's say on, on those are a couple of quick examples of production processes. If you look at sort of the distribution, distribution element, um, the whole a lot of work around financial inclusion. You know, how do you expand access to financial services? Um, in particular, for example, um, uh, mobile phones become a big element of, of how do you expand access to, this, the, to financial technology. Um, of financial services. Uh, so there's a big sort of technology element to an open source finance project, as it were. And, you know, you, you, a person in Kenya, um, for, for in Kenya there's a very good example, it's called M-Pesa, where people, ordinary people use their, their mobile phones to exchange money um, by text. Um, this has incredibly done a lot of good stuff for financial inclusion and having a sort of proto-bank accounts. Um, on the sort of monitoring process, um, this I guess is um, a work in progress. So, so this is kind of that, that monitoring function that kind of um, 
checking that everything's uh, the, the, the transparency function financial sector. Um, you're finding certain banks like Triodos Bank who actually tell you where their loans go and they expose wh what they lend money to and other banks like Charity Bank that do that as well. So there's a kind of a sense where you can sort of uh, hold them accountable for where, where their money is going as opposed to any other bank which you will have no chance at all of ever finding what they lend to. Um, so that's, that's an example there. Um, actually, Martin, maybe if you want to at some point talk about concepts like open audits and stuff, where, you know, he's kind of, uh, and actually in, in sort of the data, uh, big data um, sort of field, this is quite an interesting area, you know, how you can, you can sort of send out financial data and get people to check it, um, rather than relying on these, some of you, you always say your KPMG or a single firm to be telling you that it's fine. So there's kind of decentralized forms of, of audit. Um, rather than centralized forms. Um, uh, this, uh, you know, that, that could be applied, say, for the ratings agencies as well. You know, again, in the ratings agencies, nobody actually knows how the ratings agencies come to their ratings. Most people are just like, oh, it's a, it's a black box. They say things. This is a triple A rated, this thing. Who knows what was the methodology? Nobody knows. Well, you do know if you're in the field, but most people don't actually have much grasp of it. Um, again, the last three sort of points I might want to put before... Um, we uh, open to questions. Is, is so those are kind of sort of three elements there uh, which I'm interested in. Um, but there's also a whole kind of ethos around the open source movement or sort of kind of the hacker kind of thing, which is um, this is sort of a do-it-yourself vibe, personal responsibility, DIY kind of edge. And actually this morning, I, I um, actually last night, a friend of mine told me he, he had bought into uh, BrewDog, which is a kind of a, this, this microbrewery. They, they just, they've just suddenly launched their own share offering. Um, and he had bought a share in BrewDog. And you can find it on the website in this BrewDog. It's, it's called Equity for Punks, um, which is just this idea like, you know, oh, oh, screw the, the banks. We're just going to launch our own share offering, you know. And it's, it's very small scale compared to your average share offering. But it's a kind of this, that, that sort of ethos is about access to some extent. Um, and it's, I, I quite like that. And you find that similar kind of ethos and stuff like, you know, community shares where you can help to save your local pub by buying shares in them. And sort of you will now own this, this, um, this pub. Um, and you won't be getting only financial returns, you'll be getting a sense of some kind of community return where, where you've contributed to your, your surroundings in some way, um, which is often is a lot, more, a lot more powerful than just seeing numbers increase in your bank account. Um, uh, being able to hang out at the pub with your friends is often more important to people. Um, so that's, you know, th th that kind of DIY ethos is there. And then you also find that in some of the technology you're seeing. So there's technology systems, like open source technology systems like Cyclos, um, Community Forge, which are basically open banking platforms where the guys say, hey, if you want to start your own currency, you want to start your own little microfinance system, we give you the software and you just start it up and it's free. Um, so there's a friend of mine called Matthew Slater, that's what he does. He designs Drupal, Drupal software and just gives it away. And you can, if you're a small little community, you can start your own little, little sort of finance system with that software. So that's an example of actual open source software doing that. Um, Cyclos is another one that does that. That's bigger. Um, and then there's, there's, I guess, the, the other s couple of um, parts of the ethos is, um, uh, you know, in the open source community, they're talking about the right to fork. This kind of this uh, idea that you can, you, you, can, uh, you can contribute to a project, but then you can also have this right to dissent. You can sort of fork off in a different direction if you want. Um, and this is a, a, a very important part because, in a sense, it's a, it's a check on any excessive power in the system. If you don't think a project's going the right way, you can go off in a different direction. But it's also, it gives scope to individual creativity. Um, you kind of sort of, uh, I mean, in, in the Bitcoin world, you see this a lot. Uh, you know, the original Bitcoin code is, is open source, you know, and now there's a whole bunch of these sort of uh, 
spiraling different types of cryptocurrency that have emerged out of that. Um, with different with people with different worldviews are trying to use the same concept for different purposes. Um, uh, not that you know, Bitcoin is by far the, the biggest of them so far, but uh, there's a lot of others that are um, have a different ideological slant in the world, and that's great. Um, you also kind of see it, I suppose, in the crowdfunding space to some extent. This this idea that um, the original crowdfunding model came out, which was you know, ordinary people can you as a as a actually that's something I I, I, I wanted to mention was. Um, crowdfunding is an interesting example of distribution, uh, of opening up distribution, where you as a, as a sort of your local artist, um, who would never be able to go to a bank ordinarily and ask them for a loan, you say, hey, p hey guys, this is what I stand for, please can you all contribute to my project? And, and, and in a sense, the, the crowdfunding models opened up finance to a lot, of, a lot of people who were traditionally excluded from it, or, or was considered too wacky or weird for ordinary financing. So that's, that's the sort of, I guess, one interesting area of, of opening up. Um, but you're also seeing in the crowdfunding space a whole bunch of different types of crowdfunding platforms emerge which have different ethos. So there's like student crowdfunding, there's kind of artistic crowdfunding. There's, there's so if you're, a, if you're a, a person on the other side who's looking to finance stuff, you can actually be, hey, you know, like, uh, I, want to, um, I want to support artistic projects, I want to support these type of projects, which is very different to your, to your kind of, I just dump, dump money in a bank. Um, and then I guess the last kind of point was, was this sense of individual responsibility that, that's been built into the, into the whole kind of open source ethos, which is you're part of a community and you, you're not a passive recipient. If you look at the whole way that fi finance is framed in the media all the time, regardless of if it's, if it's left wing or right wing, it's always framed in this passive, this passive frame, which is, uh, oh, you know, depositors are under threat, or whatever it is. And it's, and it's, uh, it's the sense that the financial system exists merely to uh, sort of be this kind of passive thing that you, you just sort of store your money there, as opposed to uh, you're part of an active process where you're creating stuff uh, in the future, which is what financing is supposed to be about. Um, I'm not saying everyone should have to think like that, but at least there should be an option for people who want a more active, active engagement in finance. Um, so let me end there, and we can open it up to comments and questions. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.